Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcast. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. I do want to thank uh, Sean for the privilege of sharing God's Word today. I, this is a wonderful privilege anytime that we have an opportunity to share God's Word. And uh, I want to thank Ryan. You did an awesome job this morning, and I felt the presence of the Lord here with us today. Thank you. And I want to say to Pastor Lloyd, Pastor, um, I've been so blessed here, and I know that we just met today, but I've been coming here as much as I can. I have a son who's pastoring downtown Phoenix, so we run in there, and four of our boys are there. Let me show you a picture. You can see who we are real quick, if they could put it up. This was our 50th wedding anniversary, and uh, that was in June, and that's my family. Go next to the next picture. This is my six boys. Three of them are pastors, uh, one in Texas, one in California, and one here in Phoenix. And then this is their beautiful wives, our daughter-in-laws. We didn't have any girls, so we had to, we had to get them married. So these are our daughter-in-laws. And we have 18 grandchildren. Here's our grandchildren right here. So they're all a blessing, and we're so thankful for them. But I want to say, Pastor Lloyd, we have been so blessed here at Streams, and thank you for the foundation that you've laid here and uh, for your faithfulness over all the years. And uh, I know what it's like to come to a stage in life where we have to make some changes, and it's not easy It's not an easy time. We'll be praying for you as you go through these physical challenges that you're facing, brother. Uh, I know it's a difficult time. So, uh, yes, Susie and Sean are dear to us. Their family's dear to us, and we love them so much. And we've loved coming here and hearing Sean preach. I never knew that I would have a, that he'd be preaching after all these years. He was a real estate salesman. and, (laughs) And now he's, He's selling real estate for heaven, I guess that's what he's doing, amen. Now this is my shouting row right here, these high schoolers, all right? And I'm going to expect it today because, you know, we, we often uh, limit our youth. I want to tell you something. In Kazakhstan, I had a group of 250 leaders that would come in every couple months for training. And we were raising up pastors and and leaders, church planters across the Silk Road. Our youngest was 16 years old from Uzbekistan under adverse, adverse conditions. And in order to come, they had to have at least three house churches, and they had to have uh, so many disciples that we required them to be discipling. And that 16-year-old worked his tail off so that he could come and study and, and plant churches in, in Uzbekistan. So don't underestimate these guys. They're not the next generation. They are this generation. Amen. And I appreciate our our young people. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to be here in our midst and work in a special way in our hearts. I would invite you to stand with me in honor to the Lord as we do this. Would you mind doing that? Lord, we just want to come to you today and say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your 
love for us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our propitiator, our sin satisfier. Thank you for paying that debt that I owed. Lord, I'm asking you to use me as your vessel today to speak through and use your word. I pray, Lord, that even the hard things you'll speak. The hard things that are hard for us may be because we're struggling in areas of our life, but we need a word from you today. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open. Help us to shut out lunch, the next event today, not be checking our schedules and our times, but Lord, be open to hearing from heaven today. Holy Spirit, invade this place with your presence and your power. All of you and none of me, Lord. And I pray that we'll leave here transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll never be the same because we were here in your presence today. And we give you the praise, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have to warn you, I'm used to speaking overseas. And so Sean had to put a first a, a little tether on me, so I have to stay between here and here. That's number one. <laughs> Normally I'm down here. And then he also had to put a stopwatch on me so I make sure I stop on time because this is he reminded me this is the US and not India. So uh <laughs> I will try to do my best today, Sean. And i got to watch that line over there. Okay. I want to talk to you today from the book of Ephesians. We're following in the series with Pastor Sean and those of you that have been teaching. I've been blessed by this series. If you were to ask me what is your favorite book in the New Testament, I would have to say that Ephesians is at the top of my list. Now, Ephesians is divided into basically three sections. The first section, chapter 1, 2, and 3, is dealing with the believer's wealth. We are rich in Christ. Paul takes time in that first chapter to deal with who you are and what you have. Notice what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, this is chapter 1, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look at the person next to you and say, you are blessed. You are blessed. You know, it's funny. When we look at somebody next to us, when I say to do that, we kind of go, you're blessed. (laughs) We don't want to look at each other. (laughs) But don't be afraid to look at them and let them know that they're blessed. You know, in Christ Jesus, we are blessed. And this passage, these three chapters deal with the wealth that we have in Christ Jesus. And so important is this for us to understand that Paul prays two different times in these three chapters, asking God to help these people to come to understand, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen? Amen. It's my prayer today that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. The next section begins in chapter 4. And notice that it begins, chapter 4 begins with the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to stop and look what it's there for. It's a connecting word. It's connecting you to the first three chapters. It's reminding us, and Paul's saying, look, 
because of this is who you are, because of this is what you have, now you are to walk a certain way. And in verse one, he says, therefore walk as a prisoner of the Lord, and I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's saying, because this is who you are, now you can become what you are. You see, we can't, we can't attain to what Christ has in mind for us if we don't understand who we are today. That's a wonderful truth, that we need to grasp those truths, embrace those truths, move them from our head to our heart, and then we need to begin to live those out in everyday life. It's interesting that in chapters 4, 5, and 6 to verse 9, five different times he uses the word walk. Now I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna start in verse 17 in a moment, but I want you to notice the third section of this book is found in chapter six, beginning in verse 10, and it deals with the warfare of the believer. The wealth, the walk, and the warfare of the believer. And again, it goes back to chapter one. If we don't know who we are and what we have in Christ, we will not be able to be victorious over the enemy of our souls. So it's so important that we embrace these truths and we come to understand the value of our life in Christ. Amen? Now, last week, Sean talked to us about this area of, of walking, and in particular, walking in unity. In verse uh, chapter... Uh, and chapter one, or chapter four, verse one, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. <clears throat> so Paul calls us and admonishes us to walk in unity. Then in the next verses, he displays the attitudes that are crucial for maintaining that unity, as Sean pointed out in verses four, chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. And then he, he talks about understanding the basis of that unity that we have in Christ in verse 4 through 6, and then utilize the gifts given to Christ and his church to serve his body and in order to grow together in that unity. He's given us these gifts. And now we come to verse 17. And now in this last chapter, uh, last verses of chapter four, he begins, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of your mind. And he's saying here, look, Paul is saying, look, you have to walk worthy of the calling, especially as a holy temple of the Lord. Look at verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, in the first few verses of chapter 4, he's talking about a corporate walk. Together we need to walk and maintain unity. It's so important. Did you know that that, that was a concern of Jesus. In, chat, in John, he says that by this shall all men that know that you're my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. If we love each other corporately and the church acts this out, 
then the world looks at us and says, there's something different about these people. And that's true in unity. When we walk together in unity, look, the world looks at it and says, how do these people from different walks of life and different places and different struggles and different challenges, <clears throat> how do they get along? How do they walk together like this? It's because of Jesus that we're able to do that. Amen? So he's talking now about walking in truth and in holiness. Now, walking is a normal behavior, and it can also be pretty funny. You know, I live in a, a place up, up near, up near uh, Sun City. I don't live in Sun City, but I live near there. I'm too young to live in Sun City. <laughs> Just kidding. But anyway, I live up there near there, and um, we, in the morning, we take our little dog out, walk around, and a lot of the people, they're all old like me, and we all go out with our dogs, we're walking around, and I can tell who's coming, even if it's dark, just by the way they're walking. It's so funny because we identify people by their gait, by their walk. And look, it's not what Paul was talking about here with a walk differently, but there's a transition, I think, from walking to living, and that's what Paul's talking about. People say you can learn an awful lot about a person by observing the way they walk. Now, I pulled this little slide up. You can look here, and they say, here's the types of walks. Maybe you'll see yourself on this. There's the worrier. There's the chiller. There's the showboat. There's the politician. There's the executive. Uh, which one of these might you be? Say, well, I don't know. I don't see myself there. Well, maybe your neighbors can say which one you are. But in an article by Karen Stieber, the point, she points out seven things that you can determine about someone's personality based on the way that they walk. Her conclusion is that if you know what to look for, it's possible to learn a lot about a person. And she lists these seven things. Fast walkers are more outgoing. Slow walkers are more cautious. Anxious folks veer to the left. I don't know why. <laughs> why do you have to veer to the left if you're anxious? But anyway, saunterers are confident. Harried walkers are detail-oriented. Graceful walkers have high self-esteem. Slumped shoulders mean someone's protecting themselves. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that there's any correlation between how a person walks and their personality? Think about it a minute. Our brains are making evaluations of someone as quickly as possible. We call that first impressions. When you walk into a room and you meet someone, you automatically begin to look at them and sum them up. We also call that profiling. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen? So before you talk to someone, you've had a chance to evaluate their appearance, and unless they're sitting down, you are evaluating their walk. Whether we like it or not, people draw conclusions based upon uh, how a person walks. So think about that a moment. If people are making evaluations about you and me solely on how we walk, how much more do they, by watching the decisions we make and the way that we behave every day? That's why Paul is talking 
uh, the way he is here. And that's what he's talking about in this text. When he talks about a walk, he's talking about your behavior, about your way of life. There's a way of life that characterizes the Gentiles, he says. The Gentiles, he's referring to the unbelievers. And then there's a totally different way of life that characterizes the Christian's life. So Paul is saying here that it should be easy for us to distinguish a Christian from a Gentile by the way they walk or literally by the way they live. So let me ask you this question. If people were to look at you, what do they see? What do they see? Do they see Jesus? Do they see your life in Christ? Think about it a moment. This is a poignant question for us and an important one. Turn with me to Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 24, as we read this for a moment. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you have learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your formal manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now Paul is saying in this portion of the text, don't live like unbelievers. Put off the old and put on the new. Paul instructs us on what we need to remove from ourselves and what we need to put on in order to be properly dressed. He uses really another illustration. First, he talks about walking, comparing our life to walk. But then he talks about dress. How are you dressed? What have you got on? What are you wearing? What do people see? Paul describes what the old way of life or that old wardrobe used to look like before the people became believers. And and how they used to live before Christ. And it is the most unpleasant description. So I'm warning you ahead. And it consists of four parts, and here they are. Write these down if you take notes. Because it's listed right in this passage, verse 18. He says, these Gentiles and those that were B.C., before Christ, this is what was true in their life. First, they, were dark, they had a, dark, a, heart, a hardened heart. It's interesting, the Greek word that Paul uses here for hardening comes from the Greek word porous, which means a stone harder than marble. So this is where we get the term a heart of stone. 
In our passage, then, Paul is using it to describe people's inability and unwillingness to respond to the truth of Jesus. I'm sure as you've lived your life in Christ that you've met people and you try to share Jesus with them, try to talk to them about your faith, and you've seen how some of them, their hearts are so hardened. They, 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 they just don't want to hear it. They don't want anything to do with it talks in the Old Testament about Pharaoh. Remember when Moses went back to Egypt and he was trying to, he came to him and said, let my people go. And, Pharaoh, and it says there that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He had a hard heart. The unbeliever's heart is hard. The second thing we see is from this hardening of the heart comes a darkness that comes on. This is darkness in terms of spiritual understanding. See, before Jesus, we lived our lives in the dark. We were lost in sin, lost in darkness. It makes sense then when people, that people should not go back to living how they used to live. They used to live in the darkness. They used to be trapped within their sin. So he says, so stop living like that. Instead, live in the light of life that comes from Jesus. Living in their old ways also meant that they were living in death. And the third thing we notice in verse 18, it tells us that this way of life meant they were alienated or they were separated from the life of God. Before Jesus, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Amen? Before Jesus... We lived in separation. We were separated from that. That's what death is about. Death is separation. And before Christ, I was separated from life in Christ. And this separation makes sin a harsh reality for our world today. When we live separate from God, we live according to death and according to sin. And then the fourth thing he says here is that your former way of living was recklessness. In verse 19. <clears throat> See, when hearts are hardened, when they are in darkness and in death, they live recklessly. I think of me before Jesus, reckless. I think all of you in this room who have only been a believer for a short time or maybe lived a lot of your life before Jesus, before you came to Christ, you know that there was some pretty reckless living in those years. You wasted some time living the way you were living. Well, look, Paul points out here that this doesn't point a great view of ourselves. It doesn't point to a beautiful picture of us. But Paul's not done here. Because Paul now is going to present what new, this new kind of life should look like in Christ. And he presents our new outfit, or those, the new self, in other words, in the remaining verses of this section. Instead of living according to what you've been taught, now, now, now look, don't live this way anymore. Instead, live according to how you've been taught in Christ Jesus. He says this, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. I didn't teach you that. You didn't learn that from me. You didn't learn that from the other apostles. 
So don't, don't function in that old self. I'm calling you now to walk in newness in Christ. Now I want you to notice something, that Paul is reminding the people, and he's saying this, remember how you were taught to love one another or to be good people. He's not saying that. He's not saying, look, this is what I want you to remember. Remember how we taught you how to be a good person. He reminds them and us about a key truth concerning our faith. Folks, Christianity isn't about learning morals. Can I get an amen for that? We don't live on a basis of morals. But what we need to understand, the goal of Christianity is not to be a good person. It is not just to learn morals and good versus right. The goal and purpose of Christianity is to know a person. And it is to know Jesus. And that's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. See, this Christian life is not about us just obeying rules. It's about knowing a person. And when we know that person, our lives are forever changed. Paul challenges us to put off that old style of life. However it isn't like all of a sudden we get up this morning and we put on our Christian self and then go into the world and never deal with it again. <laughs> it's a constant challenge. Something that must be dealt with on a regular basis every day. That old man crops up. But look, we're no longer slaves, Romans chapter 6, hallelujah. We're not a slave to the old man, the old nature. But we are free in Christ. And now we can live in that freedom. And that's what we need to be embracing. And you know one truth about old clothes? There's this important truth. Old clothes are comfortable. Can I get an amen for that? I got shirts in my closet. I don't know why they're there. They're raggedy. They got paint on them. They look terrible. My wife doesn't like them, but I do. And there's no significance. It's like, throw them away. I can't. I've had it since I was two, you know? I just, I can't get rid of that old shirt. Isn't that... The, so often in our Christian life, the old clothes have become so comfortable. Our old self, our old sinful ways, we can get so used to them that they become the comfortable option. This is why we have to routinely examine our hearts and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Once we grasp that, then we can walk in that new life. The problem is some of those old self might still be in our life. And we need to refuse to acknowledge it because it's more comfortable. It's easier to continue with it. I know this. I've grown up in this. I've learned this. Well, in between talking, taking off the old self and putting on the new self, 
we read that we're supposed to be made new in the spirit of our minds. This happens first and foremost when we recognize who Jesus is and who we are in him. Once you recognize who he is and who you are, you can renew your mind. That's an important point. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about the importance of what, now that we're in Christ, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And then he goes on and says that you renew your mind in verse 2 of chapter 12. It's so important that we deal with these minds. See, the battlefield is truly in our minds when we come to Jesus. Old thoughts, old patterns, old habits, and we need to deal with those. Well, Paul then tells us to put on the new self, which created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So he says, take off, there's two steps. Take off the old, put on the new. A lot of times we take off the old, but we don't want to put on the new. But he's calling us to put on the new. Now I want you to look quickly at Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, as he tells us what the new looks like, and then we're going to close. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now here's a a beautiful verse. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and a verse we all need, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He gives us these seven things that we are to put on. Just write them down. I don't have time to develop them this morning, but I want to list them for you. Number one, speak truthfully. He's saying, look, quit lying to each other, gossiping, spreading rumors, and live honestly. You know, as a body of Christ, oh, we need to live in truth. We need to live in truth. Quit lying to ourselves and quit lying to other people. The world needs to see a body of people who live and walk in truth. Number two, do not sin in anger. Now notice it didn't say don't be angry. There are times we need to be angry. We need to get angry at sin. There's a lot of things in this world that should stir up a righteous indignation in us. But he says, look, in the midst of that anger, don't sin. And that's a whole other message in itself. How do I get angry and don't sin? <laughs> there is a way. Number three, share with those in need. You know what? We need a church that's generous. Generous. And this says here, look, quit stealing. Quit, quit taking those things from work and taking them home, saying, well, they were just extra. That's stealing. 
You know, I, I mean, come on. You didn't buy it, and they didn't intend you to take it home. So there are things in our lives that, look, we get so comfortable with, and we do, and we justify it, but it's stealing. And he's saying, quit stealing, work hard, and in the midst of working, be generous. God will take care of you, and he'll take care of others around you if you're a generous pace. Number four, build others up. This is all about the tongue. Look, don't tear people down. Do you use your words for tearing people down or building them up? How do you use your words with people you disagree with? How about you come in some Sunday and Sean's changed the color of the carpet, and you say, oh, I hate that. He didn't ask me first. (laughs) Or whatever. I mean, minor things we can get so upset about, and we can begin to discourage. We can speak things that tear people down instead of building others up. Number five, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This is a biggie. Do you know how you grieve the Holy Spirit? Sin. He's called what? Holy Spirit. And how do we grieve him? When we go and we put on those old clothes. And we walk in the old instead of the new. And number six, be kind and compassionate. You know what the church needs today? Kind and compassionate people. I've been at churches in the States where I've seen single moms come up with their little kids trying to get out of the car, trying to round them up, trying to get in the church. And four or five big old men are standing at the door yapping and not helping her. That breaks my heart. See, we're called to be kind and compassionate. Along with, and notice what it says here in this, in this passage. If we're hanging on to bitterness and anger and all these harmful things, it's impossible to be kind and compassionate. And number seven, forgive each other. Boy, is this a message that we could talk about the whole time. You know, I'm not saying that forgiving is easy. And I'm not saying that forgiveness takes away the sin of what someone might have done to you. But listen to me. Paul says it right in here. We're to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. How do you do that? See, when we forgive someone, we release them of the debt that they owe us. When someone has sinned against you, they owe you. And as long as you live in bitterness, you're trying to collect from them. And as long as you try to collect, they're attached to you. We are no longer connected to them when we forgive. This is for our freedom. Did you know forgiveness is for your freedom? And then to release them, once you let go, God can begin to deal with them. We don't forgive out of our own capacity, though. We're not able to forgive in ourselves. But we forgive because of God's capacity in our life. We can forgive because why? He forgave us. My friends, what a contrast there would be if all of those in the body of Christ carried out the admonition to walk in truth and in holiness. 
Brethren, are we grieving the Holy Spirit of God? See, while increasing worldliness is all around our society, let's be careful not to react with attitudes that are more in keeping with the old man. But having been sealed in that for the day of redemption, let's be sure to react in righteousness and holiness. You know what broke my heart? I lived in Kuwait for 15 years. We had to come back to the U.S. because of physical things in, in uh, January of 2018. Then COVID hit. And I was supposed to be traveling and visiting our churches around different parts of the world before that. Had plans made, had to cancel those. You know, things just didn't work out the way that I wanted them to work out. And one of the things we have to come to understand is that the church, I'm seeing the church after COVID lifted, so many of the church never came back. They didn't come back to be in person. They've gotten so comfortable staying at home in their pajamas, they don't want to come to church. Why do I want to sit next to somebody that sings bad? Well, maybe you're the person that sings bad. But, you know, whatever the reason, they didn't come back. And then others have divided over political things. My heart is so broken, church. This is ridiculous. Don't let yourselves get into these places. They divided over other events that took place during those two years. All the pressures of COVID and the pandemic and the church when we had a great opportunity to be soul winners and to really spread the good news of Jesus, we got so caught up in ourselves. And we reverted back many times to our old self. I believe the Holy Spirit is calling the church to live holy, righteous, truth-filled lives. Come back, church. Let's be that church. One of the things my wife and I have loved when we've come here is your love and your warmth to us. We appreciate that so much. I had to preach online for two years. That's the worst thing. (laughs) I love being with people. I don't want to preach online. I thank God for it because we were able to connect all our global churches online, but... It's tough. There's no relationship. And how does the world see Jesus when we don't connect with them? So I challenge you with these last things. Put up this last slide and then I pray. How's your walk? Do others see Jesus by the way you're living? Be honest with yourself. You don't have to answer it to me. What are some things you may need to put off? Things you may still be holding on to from the old life or things that have cropped up recently that you feel so comfortable in those nice, fuzzy, old clothes that's got mud on them and they stink like crazy, but they're so comfortable. Isn't that ridiculous? The minute you put on old clothes that are muddy and stinky, what do you do? You take them off. But when it comes to living for Jesus, a lot of times we put those old things back on. What are some things you may need to put on? Some of these things Paul listed in that passage. Are you grieving the Holy Spirit? 
What are you avoiding to change? Are you afraid of what others might say to you? Look, I work with believers around the world that if they go back to their homes and tell them that they became a believer, they'll die. But we disciple them and train them and they gain strength and courage and they go back and share Jesus and some of their family comes to Jesus and some of them have lost their life. If you were to go to court for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? That hurts me, man. I'm saying, Lord, if there's anything in my life that is not reflecting you, get it out of there. Get it out of there. I'm sorry I kept you over a little bit, but I want to tell you right now, I just want to pray for you. Would you stand with me? Sean said I could pray. I just want to pray for us as a church, for me. You know when a finger goes out like this, there's four pointing back, three pointing back at me. Look, I want a life that reflects who I really am, not who I used to be, because you wouldn't like who I used to be. If you need prayer today, brother, would you come and just play with your guitar? If you want prayer, God spoke to your heart, and you want prayer, I want to include you in my prayer today. Would you just come here with me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't want to embarrass anybody here today, but you're saying, look, God spoke to my heart today, and there are things in my life that I know I want to deal with today. Would you just come? Let me pray with you. Let me close this service with you. God loves you today. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let's just bow our heads. And if God's speaking to you, you just come right now. And I'm going to close in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for your word, as hard as it is sometimes. You prick our hearts today, Lord. You prick our hearts, and you're challenging us to be like Jesus. And this is not something that we can muster up in ourselves. It's not a code of moral ethics. It's to know Jesus and embrace the truth of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 in our lives and let it transform us. Forgive us where we've gotten off track, Lord where we've missed the boat in an area of our life or where we're putting on old clothes that we need to take off and leave them off. Thank you, Lord, for the convicting work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving us so much that you deal with us, you discipline us. You tell us that in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and so discipline us in areas we need to be disciplined, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your spirit, for our time together today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Father, for being our champion. And God, I just pray that you would continue the work that you're started, Lord. Help us to sit in this place. Help us to make space for you, that we would change our walk. I thank you for your conviction that wants to bring us out of the old and into the new. We say yes to the new. We say yes to the new because you wanna work in our lives in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families. This is more than just us. Thank you for your grace and your love. Continue to allow us to look towards the cross for our hope. In Jesus' powerful name, amen, amen. I don't want to wreck this moment, and if, if God is stirring, we have a prayer team over here. We'd love to continue to invite you to let God do the work that he wants to today. Uh, thank you for coming. Um, can we just give Tim um, a round of applause? Pastor Tim, thank you. And we have an amazing time. Um, Sunday mornings at 8.30, um, Joella and Dave and uh, the Michelsons, they teach an amazing Bible study. Um, and so, uh, Paul and uh, Sherry says, hey, we want to take August off. And so Tim's going to be headed up that Bible study. So if you have nothing to do, come at Sunday, 830. It is an amazing, amazing time. So uh, again, God bless you. Thank you for coming and have a wonderful rest of your weekend. God bless you.